Thank you for joining uh, us this morning as we continue uh, through our series called Marks of a Healthy Church. Uh, And this morning we're going to talk about what is discipleship. What is discipleship? But before we do, I'd like for us to pray together one more time. Lord, we uh, now want to continue to worship you through the hearing of your word. And so I just pray, Father, that you would speak to us this morning as your word is proclaimed, Lord, that we would hear the voice of our shepherd speaking to us. And Lord, that we would heed that voice to trust and obey, to follow you wherever you lead. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And as you do, I want, you know, just want to maybe ask some questions, you know, that we should ask on a regular basis. Questions like, why are we here? Why do we exist? What's our purpose in life? You know, those are what sometimes people call life's big questions. And my great fear as a Christian is that sometimes we just don't think about those questions enough. Because can you think about how great a tragedy it would be when we enter into the Lord's presence and we realize that we didn't live the life that we really wanted to live? What, that we might look back at the end of our days and reflect on how we lived our lives and think, my goodness, I wasted it. We don't want that to happen. Nobody wants that to happen. And if we've read our Bibles... Uh, eh, eh, We can answer that question in in the abstract pretty well, I think. You know, for for a follower of Christ, we will say things like, well, we exist to glorify God, to love God and to love our neighbors, to build God's kingdom, to make disciples. And that's, and that's, those are true, of course. Those are very true. Um, You know, we, we know as Christians who've walked with the Lord, we know that these things are true, but then we have to, you know, it's one thing to say, what our purpose in life is, but it's a different thing to kind of do some serious self-reflection on our lives and say, okay, then if those things are true, then the next important question is, what about me? If I exist to glorify God, then the question is, does my life glorify God? If I exist to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself, then do I really love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do I really love my neighbor as myself? If, if I exist to make disciples, the question is, am I making disciples? Am I living the life that I will have wanted to live when I stand before my Savior? These are tough questions, but they are important questions. And we shortchange ourselves and even our eternity by not being willing to take some time to do honest self-reflection in our lives. You see, the devil, the, in our age of technology and busyness, the devil's number one tool to render even followers of Christ impotent and unfruitful for the kingdom of God is not just sin, but it's just mere distraction. We're too busy to think about the things that really matter. And we can go on and we can fritter our lives away on not bad things, but then we get to the end of our lives and realize, what did I really do? Did I really make a difference? 
Did my life in Christ really change other people's eternities by the way that I used the time and the life and the energy that God gave me? Am I really making an eternal difference in the lives of others with my life? Can God really use me for something like that? And if so, what does it look like? That's what I want to talk about this morning as we talk about discipleship and what is it. So that brings us to our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 4. And if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. Verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending the nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The word of God. You may be seated. I want to see three aspects of discipleship this morning. Three aspects of discipleship. Number one, it is to follow Jesus. Number two, discipleship is to imitate Jesus. And number three, discipleship is to help others follow and imitate Jesus. So again, discipleship is to follow Jesus. It is to imitate Jesus. And it is to help others follow and to imitate Jesus. That's why, that's why we exist in this world. And so first, we talk about following Jesus. The core meaning of discipleship or what it means to be a disciple is to follow Jesus. When Jesus called what we refer to now as the 12 disciples, his 12 original disciples, what would be called, what would become, uh, those who would become apostles, he asked them specifically, he said, to follow me. So to be a disciple means then to follow Jesus. So the question we all have to ask ourselves is, am I following Jesus? You know, we use, we, we, we talk about, you know, we use spiritual language like that from time to time, you know. Do you follow Jesus? Oh yeah, I follow Jesus. Do you follow Jesus? If you ask 95% of Dodge County if they follow Jesus, they would say yes. Is that why drugs are destroying our county? Because 95% of the people in our county follow Jesus? I don't think so. We forget that when Jesus called his 12 disciples, we forget that following him wasn't just a spiritual activity. Think about what we just read. When he said, follow me, what was he doing? He was literally calling them to follow him. They literally stepped in his footsteps on the dusty paths all over the nation of Israel. They literally left their father in the boat by himself. Quit what they were doing. And they followed him. That's what discipleship is. It's following Jesus. They ate meals with him. They listened to him pray. They watched him pray. They watched him work and minister to others. They listened to his teachings. They went out and taught as he did. They followed him. Follow, if you think about it, is a strong word. We don't like, people don't like to use that word much anymore. We don't like the idea of following somebody else. 
but it's a strong word. We talk about all the time that the culture basically says things like, you do you. And basically all that means is the only person you should follow is you. But that is utterly antithetical to Christianity. Because the world says you do you, but Jesus says follow me. Follow me. And so we have to decide who we're going to follow. And this is everywhere. Disney movies are teaching our kids to just follow their hearts. But Jesus says, follow me. Satan tempted Eve in the garden by saying, don't listen to God. You do what looks good to you. It looks good to eat, doesn't it? Well, then you just do it. You do you. But God says, follow me. And that's what faith is. That's what Faith is to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means to follow somebody means they're calling the shots. That means you don't determine the ultimate direction that your life takes, but somebody else does. My question for myself and for us is this. Who is determining the ultimate direction your life is taking? Is it you or is it God? Are, you, are we as individuals and as a church, are we making our own plans and then asking God to bless them? Or are we saying, God, I want to be part of, I want your plan for me so I can follow it. That's two different ways of approaching life. Who's calling the shots? To follow somebody means we trust them. That's what faith is. Biblical faith is not blind, naive acceptance of abstract fat, uh, facts. Biblical faith is trust in the character and faithfulness and wisdom and love of a person in this place, namely Jesus Christ. It's faith, it's trust in who he is, that he is God's son, that he did die on the cross for our sins 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem, that he did rise from the dead and when they came looking for him, the tomb was empty. That he is ascended into heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That he one day is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And that he is trustworthy with our lives if we'll surrender our will and say, not my will, but thy will be done. And if we follow him and let him call the shots in our lives, he knows what's eternally best for us. Even if he calls us to go through some really hard things. That's what faith is. It's trusting Jesus more than what our eyes can see, more than what our desires tell us. The disciples, they saw enough of Jesus' character such that when he called them to follow him, they got out of their boats, left their jobs and their livelihoods, and followed him. So that's what following Jesus means. It's the call, it's the call in that generation, it's the call in every generation. For every, per every single individual has to decide whether Jesus is worth giving up self-autonomy, giving up your plans for your life to believe that Jesus' plans for your life are better. It's the same call in every generation. Mark eight thirty four and 35 and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. So think about it. He's calling everybody now. And he's telling, he's telling the crowd, you know, not just his immediate disciples, but he's telling the whole crowd, if you want to follow me, this is what has to happen. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, 
take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying to find the life that you really want, the life that I would say our hearts were made for, that our soul craves, a life bigger than ourselves, a life bigger than just living for what we want in the few years that we get, but a life that makes an eternal difference, a life that glorifies the God who made us for himself, a life that will ultimately experience the greatest happiness and eternal joy forever in the presence of our Savior. If that's the kind of life that you want, it's going to cost you. Because you have to give up one kind of life to have the other. You can't have them both. We have to give up one kind of life to have the other. If you seek to save your life here, you're going to lose the life then. But if you lose your life now, you get true life, real life, full life, lasting life forever. Which one are you going to choose? Which one are you going to choose? Is it worth it? Do you make... Do you, or do you really make that, those, that great of decisions anyways? <laughs> that you think you can have your, you know, that we think we can have, have our cake and eat it too without a life of, the li- we, we think we can just live for this world and think that it'll be better than what God offers us in eternity? Remember what Jesus said, the least shall be the greatest, the first shall be last. We lose our life in this world to find it in the next. When we live for a kingdom, when we live for Christ and his kingdom now, yes, it's costly because what does it mean? It means loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It means loving my neighbor as myself. It means putting others before me. It means going out of my way to see to it that other people are knowing Christ. It means giving up. It means God. It means People going out as missionaries to literally lay down their life for the sake of Christ. It means, it means our brothers and sisters in Christ in Syria being crucified and beheaded for their testimony of Jesus Christ. But what does it matter if you lose your life in this world if you gain it forever? We have to decide if Jesus is worth it. If Jesus is worth it, is he worth it to you? Is there some area in your life where you're following you more than you're following Jesus? And if there is, what are you going to do about it? Man, Pastor, you're preaching a hard sermon this morning. Look, it's because I love you, because I'm preaching to myself, because I'm your pastor, I'm your spiritual shepherd. I don't want to tell Jesus one day when I stand before him, Chad, why didn't you tell him? Why didn't you tell him? I put you in this job to tell them, and you didn't tell them. And then I don't want you to have to stand before Jesus one day and you just say, I don't know why I didn't. I don't know why I wasted it. I don't. I don't want you to be there. I don't want to be there. We have to ask ourselves, is Jesus worth it? Are we a disciple? Will are we going to, will we trust and obey him to take those bold steps of love and sacrifice for the glory of God and for the good of others? Do we really follow Jesus? Not just baptize our plans for ourselves in spiritual language, but do we really follow Jesus? Or is our life laid on the altar 
And all we tell in Jesus, Jesus, wherever you lead, I'm going to go. You want me to go here? I'm going to go there. You want me to do this? I'm going to do it. You want me to not do that? I'm going to stop it. Wherever it is, wherever you lead, Jesus, I'll go. That's what it means to be a disciple, to follow Jesus. And this is important because some people have said before that you can be a Christian without being a disciple. And I just think that's unbiblical language. Because biblically speaking, nowhere does it ever talk about being a disciple who's not a Christian. If you are a disciple, you are a Christian. If you, if you are a person who has Jesus in their life, but Jesus is not on the throne of your life, you're not a carnal Christian. You're lost. Jesus is not going to take second place in your life. The fundamental claim of Christianity is Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? That's the fundamental principle of Christianity is Jesus Christ is Lord. If Jesus Christ is your buddy or your roommate but not your Lord, you're not a Christian. But if Jesus Christ is your Lord, then it changes everything. Because now I'm part of the story that's bigger than me. I'm part of the life that I was made to live. My life means so much more than just the 40, 50, 60, 70 years, but it makes an eternal difference. The way I live it now, the way I love others now, the way I talk about Jesus Christ now, the way I point others to Jesus now is something so bigger and so greater than just my tiny little life. And I don't want to waste it for him. What does it mean to be a Christian? Number one, it means to follow Jesus, to follow him wherever we go. And the second thing it means to be a disciple is it means to imitate Jesus. It means to imitate Jesus. And we could say following and imitating is really the same way. It's just a different way of looking at it. Jesus calls us to imitate him. The Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see, Jesus doesn't follow that bad parenting advice that says, do as I I say and not as I do. Jesus never asked his followers to do anything that he himself was not willing to do. In fact, Jesus has already done everything that he asked of us so that we now are free by the power. We re- I mean, ultimately, we can't. We can't do all that God requires of us. That's why Jesus did it for us. He satisfied God's demand on our lives so that if we, if we trusted him and follow him, all of our sins are forgiven and we are filled with the Holy Spirit and then empowered by God to live this life of discipleship, empowered by God to follow him. The, the command to follow Jesus is impossible apart from the power of God in our lives. But God has given us that power by the Holy Spirit who's living in us. And to follow Christ, therefore, by the power of the Spirit is to imitate him. Is to see in Christ the epitome of all goodness and every virtue. And to ache in our hearts to be holy as he is holy. It is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is to see in Christ His incomparable beauty that is greater than anything else that this world has to offer. It is to see in Christ the satisfaction of our souls in such a way that nothing else can ever offer. No relationship, no job, no amount of success, no amount of money can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And if you know him, then you know that. Because to know Christ is to love him. To know him is to follow him. To know him is to want to be like him. So how do we imitate Christ? 
a few, uh, four ways here this morning. Number one is we imitate his love. In John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. What's it mean to be a disciple? It means to imitate Jesus in his love. How did Jesus love? He gave himself for the good of others. He gave himself up to the very the highest cost that he could give for the eternal good of others. As he agonized in the garden, sweating drops of blood, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he gave himself for us on the cross. And Jesus, Jesus calls us, if you can believe this, he calls us, his followers, to do what? To love other people like he has loved us. Can you imagine a higher calling than Jesus Christ with holes in his hands and in his feet and a pierced side and he looks at us and he says, Chad, love others as I've loved you. That's how we're supposed to love one another. So we imitate Jesus in his love and next we imitate Jesus in his mission. Matthew four nineteen. we read it earlier. He said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus was a fisher of men And Jesus makes his followers fishers of men. We fish in many many different ponds and we use different kinds of tackles and techniques. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we got to follow him and his mission. And that is, we got to be about the fishing business. If we follow Jesus, he will make us fishers of men. If Christ is in you, if the Spirit is in you, if you know in your heart that you've been forgiven of your sins because you've surrendered it to Jesus and that He has satisfied all of God's demands on you and you've just trusted in Him and you've united with Him and He is your righteousness and you've surrendered your life to Him. If you've, if you've done that, then you know. <laughs> and th- th- There's a way that that has happened in your life. It has happened in your life because somebody went fishing for you. Somebody shared the gospel with you. Somebody invited you to church. And it changed your eternity. And what that means is that we can be fishers too. Everybody in here knows people that don't know the Lord. How are we going to fish for them? What are we going to do? You know, these pro fishermen, they got all these techniques and they know all the right times and all the right places and the right way to wiggle their rods. And they spit, they're, they're just, they're experts. They spend a lot of time and energy researching and focusing the best way to catch fish. And they spend more effort catching fish to eat than we do catching souls to save. What if we sat down and God helped me to think hard and say, there's this fish that I want to catch. Lord, help me catch them. Let me think, God, how can I reach them for you? How can I reach out to them? How can I bring them into my life? How can I bring my life into their life? How can I share the love of Christ with them? How can, God, grant me these opportunities. And I believe if we do that, we will. He will. He will open those doors for us. So we imitate Jesus In his mission, and number three, we imitate Jesus in his service. 
We're going to take Jesus in his servant, John 13, 14, in his service. If then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. You know that story. The night Jesus was betrayed, the Last Supper, his last night here on earth. Nobody wanted to wash everyone else's feet, so Jesus took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he did it. If there was anybody on planet, who ever walked on planet earth who was too good for a job, it was Jesus Christ. And the job that everyone else looked at and says, I don't want to do that, Jesus said, I'll do it. Are we, am I, more self-important than Jesus Christ? Do I look at things and say, I'm too good for that? I ain't got time for that. Or do I take the heart of Jesus, seeking to be last in this world that we may be first in the next? Jesus, Jesus, he had one mission, to glorify his Father, to show us what it means to be truly human. And he did it perfectly, even to the point of washing his disciples' nasty feet because he was showing them something. He was saying, if I, your Lord and Master, do this for you, how much more should we serve one another? And the final way we imitate Jesus is in his suffering. We imitate him in his suffering, 1 Peter 2.21. For to you, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Look at that. Christ suffered, leaving an example so that we might follow in his steps. I talk about this a lot because we have to learn, because it's a great misconception. Because so many people, they think, well, if I come to Jesus, my life will get better. And it's just not true. Suffering is not incidental or accidental to the Christian life. Suffering is part and parcel of the Christian life. If you want to be a Christian, you will suffer. The question always is, is Jesus worth it? Jesus suffered, leaving us an example. And Jesus said, Jesus told his followers while he was alive, if they do this to the master of the house, what will they do to the household servants? The essence of the Christian life, Jesus said, is to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. What do you do with a cross? What happens on a cross? What is Jesus asking us to do when he says take up a cross? What happens on a cross? You die on it. That's what happens on a cross. When you follow Jesus, Jesus is asking you to come and die. Die to yourself. Die to your plans. Die to this world. Why? So that you can live to God. So that you can live in the only way that really matters. In the only way that really makes sense. We must imitate Christ in his suffering, let me tell you something. He's worth every, any price you have to pay for Jesus. He's more than worth it. He is more than worth it. You're not losing. When, when we yield up this life to have more of Jesus, let me tell you something. You're not losing. You're gaining. And you won't regret it. You'll never regret it. Jesus when Jesus, says deny, when Jesus says deny ourselves, die to ourselves and follow him, he's not trying to take something away from us. He's trying to give us something. Real, pure, meaningful life forever. If that means that I don't enjoy all the things I could possibly enjoy in this life because I'm living for God, what does it matter? What does it matter to know God 
and the joy that we'll have forever. So, discipleship means following Jesus. Discipleship means imitating Jesus. And finally, and importantly, that I really want us to think about is discipleship means helping others follow and imitate Jesus. Helping others follow and imitate Jesus. We've already talked about it, fishing for men. The first part of discipleship is to evangelize. Jesus, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We know that Jesus is not just talking to his disciples, but he's talking to all Christians because he says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Well, guess what? It's not yet the end of the age. That means Jesus is still with us to do what? To make disciples. And Jesus prefaced the commission by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that mean? It means what Jesus is saying is telling his disciples and telling us, what I'm about to tell you to do is impossible without me. But because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, guess what? You will make disciples of all nations. Do you know that there are believers of Jesus Christ on every and every populated continent on this earth? Did you know that this morning there will be those who worship the, the same Jesus that we are worshiping risen from the dead in Asia, in Africa, in South America, in Australia, in Europe, today, if they haven't already? Why is that? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus And so when we look out in this community and say, well, what can we do? How can we make a difference here? It's not about you. What can Jesus do? How can Jesus make a difference here? That's the question. And if we go out knowing that no scheme of the enemy can thwart the plans of Jesus Christ, we go out with a whole different attitude and a lot more confidence because nothing can stop what God is doing in the world. Either we're going to be part of it or not. God's going to do... the. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The devil cannot win. Dodge County, God's purposes will be fulfilled in Dodge County. The question is, are we going to be a part of it? That's that's the only question. Do you want to be a part of it? The other day, and this is just God's grace. It has nothing to do with me, but the other day, I was praying for God to give me opportunity to share Christ. I have a little prayer app. When I go on my runs in the morning, I pray through the prayer app. Every other day, I pray for an opportunity to share Christ. On the way back when I was running inside the road, there's a man walking down the road. I can't tell God, well, I don't know what you want me to do. I know what he wants me to do. Am I going to do it? He needed some help. I helped him. I shared Christ with him. That same afternoon, another clear, plain opportunity to share Christ. It had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with me. I didn't make those opportunities happen. Who made it happen? The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth made those opportunities happen. All I had to do was ask. The question is not, will God use us? The question is, do we want to be used? Do we want to be used by God? Do you want it? Bad enough? 
to make a difference. If we ask him, he'll use us. If we want to be used, he'll use us. He doesn't need, he doesn't need, he doesn't need your, you say, I'm not skilled. I'm not gifted enough. I can't talk. I'm not a people person. (laughs) Tell me when it became about you. Every person that God used in the Bible tried to explain to God why he couldn't use them. What if we stop, what if we stop telling God why he can't use us and start saying, God, just use me. He will. He will. And the final thing that I want to talk about, we talk about evangelization, and the final thing about helping others follow and imitate Jesus. So the second part of discipleship, Jesus said, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That implies evangelism. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So if someone's a follower of Christ, it's not enough that they become a follower of Christ, but then they must be taught. We must teach others. And of course, this is a never-ending process. We, all of us together, must continue to be teaching and exhorting and helping and encouraging and speaking truth into each other's lives on a regular, continual basis for us to grow. I talk about this verse a lot because it's so important. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Whose job is it? To make sure that no one else in this church family fails to obtain the grace of God. My job. Your job. If someone looks like they're failing to obtain God's grace by slipping away from the Lord in some way or another, God is saying, Chad, see to it, son. You, see to it, son. Get after them. Why? Because that's what we need. That's what discipleship is, is teaching each other to obey all that he has commanded us. To see to it that each of us grows and matures in Christ, flees sin and temptation and exercises our gifts and love. It means getting into the nitty gritty of each other's lives. Giving and extending to others the trust and love and transparency that is required for people to really help us in our lives, we are shortchanging ourselves if we walk in and out on Sunday morning and nobody even knows who we are. If we go home and we're dying on the inside and not a single person knows, we're shortchanging ourselves because that's why the church exists to help each other. It's not a place to pretend we, need, we don't need help. It's a place where everyone knows we all need help. And it's a place, therefore, that we need to open up our lives to other people. And being willing to give correction and be willing to receive it and to devote intentional time in growing in our knowledge of the scriptures and helping others grow in their knowledge of the scriptures and thinking about how the scriptures apply to our lives practically every day. And this, this all and all this I'm talking about can be intimidating because we are reticent sometimes to do things like this. Why is that? I think so, you know. Sometimes it may be we're reticent to, to, to be talking about Christian things all the time because sometimes we're maybe scared of being perceived as over-spiritual. And maybe you know somebody like that, but I think most, pro- most people's problem, including mine, is not being too spiritual. It's the opposite. And the other side is that maybe we're, redis- we're reticent to kind of dig into other people's lives because we don't want them to dig into mine. We're reticent to ask probing questions about, well, how are you doing? How's your life really going? Because we don't want people to turn around and ask us, well, how are you really doing? But see, this is where 
understanding grace in the Christian life comes in. Because in the Christian life, we see to it that others are obtaining the grace of God, not because we have our act together, but because we know that without each other's help, we can't make it in this Christian life. Without each other's help, we can't do it. So getting into other people's lives is not an act of judgment or a violation of grace. It is a means of grace. It is simply doing to others what we want other people to do to us. It is simply acknowledging, saying, I'm trying to help you because I need you to help me. It is loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. It is care of souls, earnestly desiring people to not just exist, but to thrive and flourish in our walks with God. You know, I just, I, you know, I just think about it. I mean, it's, it's, we all feel that temptation. We just kind of get in a rut, and our spiritual lives can just so quickly be going through the motions. And we all got to battle against that, but we need each other's help, and we need somebody to push us. We need somebody to push us in this. We need, a, we need accountability. We need accountability. Why is it, why is it, will people pay $125 a month to join CrossFit at the gym? Why? You can do everything that they do at CrossFit on, by yourself with a $30 a month gym membership. Why would people pay $125 a month to do CrossFit? Because they know that when they have other people yelling in their ears and cheering on their name, saying, push, push, go, go, you can do it, you can do it, don't give up, they know that they can go way further than they could ever push themselves. We in the Christian life, we think, man, you know, if I'm just kind of, if I read my Bible three times a week and pray and show up to church on Sunday morning, that's it, I'm doing okay. But don't... Don't you want to? Don't you want to be more than okay? Don't you want to run for Jesus? Don't you want to power lift for Jesus? But what does it need? That means. But the reality is, is we're too weak. We can't push ourselves the way we need. So what do we need? We need other people to say, "Come on, you can do it. Go. You can knock on that door. You can share Christ with that person. You can read your Bible every day. You can pray like you mean it. You can be used by God to bring other people into His everlasting kingdom. You can do it because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world." So how do we do this? I know I'm going long, but I think this needs to be said. Some practical ways that we can do this. Number one, I read a study recently, uh, uh, an article that said that numerous studies have shown that Bible study is the number one and primary way that people grow in their faith. There is no substitute for Bible study. I'm not trying to add another thing to your busy life. I'm trying to... I'm trying to give you life because Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that precedes the mouth of God. Martin Luther said, I'm too busy not to pray. If we want to grow in our Christian life, if we want to thrive, if we want to power lift for Jesus, we've got to be feeding our souls on God's word and let him nourish us and sanctify us. And so, but again, so... That takes that you might need help with that. You might need accountability. So what can we do? Find a partner. Find somebody and say, hey, I want us to read through the Bible together. Ha- text each other every day. Say, hey, did you read today? You can do it. You can do it. Get some help. Get some accountability. Invite other people in there. 
Find a partner or two and study through a book of the Bible together. Go through and say, hey, let's read through the book of Romans and let's meet once a week and let's talk about it. And let's think about it. And let's wrestle with what Paul is saying and, you know, what, or what, what, what's he trying to sell us and what does it, how can I apply it to our lives? Get some accountability so that you say, I don't want to show up at this meeting on this day without having done my work. That's how we grow. That's how we grow. Get some accountability. Study the Bible. Join a Sunday school class. Come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Get exposed to the Bible. Wrestle with the text. There's some hard things in the Bible. Don't just gloss over it. Wrestle with it and say, God, teach me the truth. I want to know you in truth. The more seriously we'll take it, the more we'll get out of it. Have accountability relationships. Choose one or two people whom you trust and ask them to check in on you on a regular basis. If you have a certain struggle with sin, don't be too proud and drown and let. The one thing that when you're struggling with sin, the one thing the devil wants you to do is to tell nobody about it. Why? Because James says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. It's something powerful about confession that brings healing. Bring other people into your struggle. That's what Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Get accountability. Have someone that you meet with on a regular basis and ask questions like, how's your spiritual life? Do you feel like you're growing in your walk with the Lord? What's the Lord teaching you? What struggles or burdens do you have in your life right now? How's your marriage? How's your thought life? How's your battle with lust, greed, and pride? Have you been facing any particular temptations? Is there anything you're not telling me? How can I pray for you? How can I help you in this walk with life? How can we together reach others for Christ? Show hospitality. Here's another way to make disciples. Show hospitality. Invite people over. Be intentional to make time for others. When When you're around other people, talk about Christ. Talk about your faith. When you're around other Christians, don't just talk about the weather. Don't just talk about Georgia Bulldogs. Talk about Christ and your life. Work together to serve other people. Together you can meet needs that you can't meet individually. You see a need, there's a certain need, there's a certain opportunity that you have to reach out to somebody. Do it. Bring other people along to do it. Reach out with someone else. We've been talking about who's your one for some time now. We're going to hit that real hard in a couple of weeks. I don't want to let that fall to the ground because, again, we can't reach everybody for Christ, but we can reach somebody. And there's somebody that the Lord has laid on your heart. And one of the people that I shared Christ recently with was that one person, and they, they're not super interested right now. But I believe if I keep praying and I keep working, God can break through. Who's that person in your life? Bring other people into their life. Introduce them to other Christians. Have them over and invite other Christians there and, and make more lines, conduits of grace into their lives through the lives of other believers. You eat, if you eat breakfast, lunch, and supper, you eat 21 times a week. Can you use one, two, or three of those to eat with another believer and ask them some of these questions, talk with them about their faith? Or maybe could you use one or two of these a week to meet with an unbeliever and just get to know them and talk about how your faith is making a difference in your life and talk to them about spiritual things? One or two out of 21 a week. These are things that we can do to make discipleship so that what? So that our life makes a difference. 
so that we don't get so busy about all these other things we got going in our lives that we were so busy taking care of other things that we totally forgot the most important things we were supposed to be doing. Make, make time, make plans, be intentional. Take one thing from this sermon this morning. Ask God right now, God, which one of these things do you want me to do? And God, help me do it. When we ask God to, to use us, when we ask God, God, help me make a difference in the lives of others, I believe he will. I know he will. And that's what discipleship is all about. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your truth, Lord.